Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 38 of They Walk Among Us, a podcast dedicated to UK true crime. Don't forget to pre-order your copy of our new book, They Walk Among Us, available on Thursday, May 30th, 2019, from all good bookshops. Listener caution is advised, as this episode contains adult themes and descriptions that some listeners may find distressing. following excerpt was found in Gregory Davis's leather-bound diary in 2003. Quit job tomorrow. Get Mick killed. Get Stuart to withdraw cash every day. When all gone, kill him. Repeat Mick plan ad infinitum all over country and world, in Las Vegas and swanky bars. Dorothy Rogers was a 49-year-old mother to two grown sons. After her divorce, she raised them alone. In 2003, she was living in Stantonbury, Milton Keynes with her 19-year-old son, Michael. She had worked as a secretary at Cranfield University, just over eight miles away. The previous year, she was made redundant. She got a reasonable sum for her 20 years working for the university, but Dorothy wasted no time in looking for another job. 
In the meantime, she was using her secretarial experience in a temporary position until she found a permanent role. Dorothy had a full life outside of work. She had an active role in social clubs. She was seen as cultured, enjoyed music, particularly opera and theatre. She liked to tipple and would visit the Pilgrim's Bottle pub. One regular recalled, once she walked into the bar and put her hand up in the air very politely to attract the barman's attention. He asked why she didn't shout for him like anyone else, and she replied, I do not want to, it is not very ladylike to shout. The Pilgrim's Bottle was in Great Limford, walking distance from Dorothy's home located on the next estate. In contrast to Stantonbury, where Dorothy lived with its new houses, play parks and schools, Great Limford is made up of old properties and quaint cottages. James Cowles, known to his friends as Mick, was a regular at the Pilgrim's Bottle too. He and Dorothy struck up a friendship. Mick in his sixties had become a widower, after his wife had died a few years earlier. Dorothy was a good friend and a sympathetic ear. Mick would visit her at home and spend time with her at the pub. Dorothy wasn't the only acquaintance he made at the Pilgrim's Bottle. Unbeknownst to Mick and Dorothy, they had been conversing with a man with deadly intentions. Gregory Davis, unremarkable both in appearance and presence, was 23 years old. His slim frame and boyish face meant he could have passed for someone much younger. He had a stable, somewhat middle-class upbringing, living on Wood Lane in Great Limford with his parents and sister. His father was a civil engineer and his mother a care assistant. He attended Radcliffe Secondary School and blended in with all the other teenagers in their uniform of black polyester trousers and matching v-neck sweaters. Maybe there was one thing that caused concern or raised an eyebrow. In school for an art project, Davis engraved the names of serial killers on silver plaques. When he was in sixth form, he created more controversy. A fellow pupil recalled, My memory is that his art coursework was rather strange in that it featured a sofa and a mannequin, both of which had been seriously assaulted with a blowtorch. Gregory Davis studied art at Northampton College, but after he left he didn't pursue an artistic career. He stacked shelves in a co-op supermarket and steadily progressed to a supervisor position working in Milton Keynes and then Toddington. He went on to have an affair with a married woman, but it wasn't long before the inevitable happened. The relationship turned sour. Gregory Davis didn't take the breakup well. His drinking spiralled out of control and his mental health deteriorated. At 22, he sought help for alcoholism. He wasn't a loner, he had a busy social life and friends. One day, one of them saw Gregory engrossed writing in a brown notebook. His friend said, 
He was writing in an expensive leather diary that his father had bought him. I asked what he was writing, and he said it was a shopping list. Gregory Davis was writing a list, but it was not a shopping list. It was the names of the people he planned to murder. There seems no clear reason why Davis chose the targets he did. The second person he planned on killing was a friend of his, Stuart Johnson. Part of his diary read, Quit job tomorrow. Get Mick killed. Get Stuart to withdraw cash every day. When all gone, kill him. In the late morning of January 28, 2003, Davis went to Johnson's house. However, once Gregory Davis arrived at his friend's home, his plan was scuppered. He had second thoughts as Johnson was not alone. He was having a new kitchen fitted and workmen were busy at the house. Maybe he figured the attack would be too risky and so he left. Gregory Davis later got into his car and made the short drive to Dorothy Rogers' home. The first person on Davis's list was Mick Cowles, who often spent time with Dorothy at a home on Redbridge in Stantonbury. When Gregory Davis arrived, he was greeted by Mick, along with both Dorothy and her son Michael. Davis walked through the front door, concealing a claw hammer and a knife with a 12-inch blade. An argument then erupted. Mick was struck in the head with the claw hammer at least three times, leaving him incapacitated. Davis turned his attention to Dorothy, hitting her with the claw hammer, then using the knife to stab her 31 times in a frenzied assault. After witnessing the murder of his mother, Michael was stunned but managed to flee the scene. Gregory Davis wasn't far behind. Michael reached a nearby children's play park before Davis caught up with him. In front of horrified families spending a quiet afternoon at the park, Davis repeatedly stabbed then disemboweled the 19-year-old who collapsed to the floor. Dorothy's neighbours had heard a loud commotion next door so called the police. By the time the emergency services arrived, Gregory Davis had fled the scene in his car. He was on his way to pick up his girlfriend for a date. Police and paramedics were met with two horrendous scenes. Mother and son Dorothy and Michael Rogers had lost their lives. Mick Cowles was rushed to Milton Keynes Hospital with head injuries. He had two fractures and his brain had hemorrhaged as a result of the impact from the hammer. He was taken into surgery, then after the operation he was transferred to intensive care in a stable condition. Witnesses at the play park relayed their description of the killer to police. White male in his late teens to early twenties, black jacket and dark trousers. 
He looked quite unremarkable, but the vehicle he was travelling in wasn't. The bright yellow Fiat Seicento didn't exactly blend in. Someone had made a note of the number plate. KS-51CZX Thanks to the description from vigilant witnesses, Gregory Davis was arrested in Great Linford the next day. On January 30th, 2003, Davis was charged with two counts of murder and one count of attempted murder. With two security guards stood next to him, he didn't appear to show any emotion as he sat in the dock wearing jeans and a cream jumper. His family, including his mother and father, supported him sitting at the back of the courtroom. Gregory Davis only spoke to confirm his name, date of birth and address. In the short hearing, Prosecutor Rosalind Wilmin read out witness statements, one of which was from Mick Cowles who was still in hospital. Gregory Davis's solicitor David Backhouse applied for conditional bail, but unsurprisingly on such charges, the magistrates refused. Davis was to remain in custody until the trial, provisionally set for December 10, 2003. He was remanded to Broadmoor, a high-security psychiatric hospital. Mick Cowell spent three weeks in the hospital, trying to heal from the brutal attack which left him with ongoing health issues. Though he was deemed physically well enough to be released, he struggled mentally. Witnessing the murder of someone he had grown close to and her son was a heavy burden to carry. A friend of Mick said he missed Dorothy terribly and he used to drown his sorrows. It was as though the Mick we knew had disappeared that day. He was gone as we knew him. He was not really there. A tragic series of events led to Mick Cowell's death just ten months after the assault and murders. During a heavy drinking session in which he consumed a considerable amount of alcohol, around 20 pints of beer, on May 25, 2003, he tumbled down a flight of stairs. He was admitted to John Radcliffe Hospital in Oxford, but things went from bad to worse when Mick contracted both shingles and pneumonia. In a weakened state, his health deteriorated further. He was diagnosed with septicemia, and bowel obstruction. His body couldn't withstand anymore, and he passed away on October 11, 2003. His cause of death was bronchial pneumonia. A question arose as to whether Gregory Davis's actions caused Mick Cowell's death. Dr. Hunt for the Home Office asked for an inquest to establish if there was a link However, one could not be proven. In December 2003, Gregory Davis appeared before Luton Crown Court. His physical appearance had changed dramatically. His short dark hair was now shoulder length and the jeans and jumper he wore at his first hearing were exchanged for a smarter dark suit and purple shirt. 
his expression remained the same. Neutral. The court heard while staying at Broadmoor, five psychiatrists had examined Davis. They each echoed the same professional opinion. They came to the conclusion that at the time of the attacks, Gregory Davis had social anxiety and severe paranoid psychosis which was exacerbated by his alcohol dependence. Davis's assigned psychiatrist at Broadmoor told the court, I think he continues to pose an extremely grave immediate danger to the public. The psychiatrist added, I think the nature of these attacks indicate an underlying capacity for violence. There are a number of other issues which give cause for concern. He is a very significant risk. Defence counsel Graham Parkins QC mentioned Gregory Davis's diary. He stated, It is clear from the diary entries that this young man knew what he was going to do on this particular day. His parents remained loyal to him and they are distraught about how this came to happen. The public at large who will read about this must realise this was the action of a sick man. In his statement, Parkins also said that Gregory Davis was previously described by people who knew him as gentle and sensitive, with a wicked sense of humour. In closing, Nicholas Brown QC said, The conclusion of the prosecution is that the psychiatric evidence is overwhelming that he was suffering from a number of psychiatric disorders at the time he committed these offences. The Crown say he is interested in violence, death, serial killers and serial killing. His diary entries indicate his ambition was to be a serial killer, although many features of his personality seem to be intact. He had a home, a job and a social life which centred around the local public house. At the same time, he had delusional beliefs that he could commit the perfect murder and become a serial killer. Brown went on to describe the psychiatrist's findings as unequivocal and uncontradicted. It was also disclosed that Davis's thoughts on killing were further ignited after he watched an episode of Taggart a Scottish television police drama. Gregory Davis admitted to the manslaughter of Dorothy and Michael Rogers and to causing grievous bodily harm with intent to Mick Cowles on the grounds of diminished responsibility. During sentencing, Judge Justice Richard Aikins told Davis... You are an extremely grave and immediate danger to the public. This grave and immediate danger could continue for a length of time and I cannot say when the danger might end. An ex-friend of Davis's claimed he winked at her from the dock. Gregory Davis was detained at Broadmoor Maximum Security Hospital indefinitely under the Mental Health Act. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This episode of They Walk Among Us is brought to you in association with Centair. Ever entered a seemingly perfect space only to feel like something was missing? That's where Centair comes in. With over three decades of experience, Centair leads the scent marketing industry, scenting resorts, retail outlets, event spaces and more, partnering with major brands like Westin Hotels and Snap Fitness. Chances are you've already encountered their fragrances firsthand. And now Centair is offering you a luxury fragrance experience in the comfort of your home. Visit Centair.com to explore their online store and infuse your spaces with unforgettable scents. Centair diffusers are sleek and fill your space with vivid fragrance for up to 300 hours. And the Centair app lets you schedule your fragrance and control your intensity right from your phone. What's more, all of Centair's more than 60 fragrances are phthalate-free, cruelty-free, safe for families, and EcoVad is certified sustainable. Differentiate your space with scent. Try luxury home fragrance trusted by the pros by going to Centair.com and using promo code Among Us for an extra 25% off your first order. That's promo code Among Us for an extra 25% off your first order at Centair.com. Less than a year and a half after Gregory Davis was detained, he lodged an appeal. Legal Aid approved the funding for him to hire a human rights lawyer specialising in mental health. The aim was to get Davis transferred from the high-security Broadmoor Hospital to lower-security Littlemore Mental Health Centre in Oxford. The case was heard by a tribunal at Broadmoor in mid-2005. Gregory Davis's transfer request was approved and he was moved to Littlemore. Over the next few years, Davis was in the care of Littlemore Hospital. But in October 2009, the public were alarmed to discover the double killer had been out on unsupervised visits and had also spent time at his home in Great Linford, Milton Keynes. Davis was allowed to spend four hours a week on unsupervised leave. 
Transported under the cover of a blanket, he returned to visit his terminally ill mother. During November of that year, a picture was published of Davis shopping on his own in Oxford. His hair once again cropped, he was carrying a Sainsbury's bag for life and a copy of Hi-Fi News magazine. His clothes a conservative polo shirt, cardigan and cream trousers. The news got back to Dorothy and Michael's loved ones and a family friend voiced their outrage. They said, I am appalled. I bet the people of Oxford are delighted to know they have a maniac capable of this in their midst. This man has proved himself, despite his youth and frail appearance, capable of incredible violence and brutality, and it is very frightening. I'm glad I don't live in Oxford, because you don't know who you would be standing next to in a queue at the shops. It is absolutely disgraceful, and I am horrified. Police spokesperson Rebecca Weber tried to reassure the public about the safety measures that had been put in place. She said Gregory Davis's outings were monitored through MAPA, multi-agency public protection arrangements, utilised to monitor violent and sex offenders who serve their sentence in the community or when they are released from custody. She said, the decision to allow Mr. Davis unsupervised visits into the community is one taken by the Oxfordshire and Buckinghamshire Mental Health Trust, who are responsible for his care, and MAPA were informed of their decision. We will continue to monitor the situation as per the MAPA guidelines. In 2011, a mental health tribunal heard Gregory Davis's case. They were told at the time of the murders, Davis was going through a psychotic episode brought on by alcoholism and an adverse reaction to the antidepressant medication he was taking. Gregory Davis wished to move to a hostel where he would be monitored by staff. In time, his goal was to be released from the halfway hostel, free from medical care and supervision, to live in the community. A Facebook page called We Are Against a Brutal Murderer being released into the community was established and a peaceful demonstration was held in March 2011 near Milton Keynes Shopping Centre. A few hundred demonstrators attended some holding signs and banners expressing their wish for Gregory Davis to remain hospitalised or be sent to prison. During July 2011, eight and a half years after he took the lives of Dorothy and Michael Rogers, Gregory Davis had his plea to be moved to a hostel approved. The news created panic for the Rogers family and Gregory Davis's old friends as they were convinced they were named on a further kill list he had made. One former acquaintance said, They're blaming these vicious killings on a side effect to common medication. How do we know he won't pop another pill and kill again? Another old friend who wished to remain nameless had received letters from Gregory Davis while he was incarcerated and said the handwritten notes were signed, Love from Greg, as though nothing had ever happened. 
During her interview with the press, she spoke of her concerns that the murders were glossed over in Davis's correspondence. She said, only once he referred to his killings, and he described them as the incident. Further communications were left sealed after a drawing he sent in black and red crayon unnerved her. She stated, it was crudely drawn, but there was something so violent and disturbing about it that it frightened me. I never opened his letters after that. I know my name has been mentioned in his letters, and I would live in fear if he is freed. I will only feel safe if he is locked up for life. Dorothy Rogers' twin sister Brenda was devastated by the news that her sister and nephew's killer was set to be released. She set up a petition and sent it to then Prime Minister David Cameron and Justice Secretary Ken Clark, imploring the government to rectify a miscarriage of justice and to put Gregory Davis in prison. It began with an impassioned plea, Do not let this man go free. Humans will die. The petition was rejected on the grounds it related to something that the UK government and parliament were not responsible for. In August 2011, Gregory Davis's release was officially put into action, and in October a conditional discharge was set in motion to move him to a secret address within the community. Police, social workers and Davis's medical team discussed the move so that he would at first live in supported accommodation and have regular contact with his healthcare workers. Although the Ministry of Justice would not comment on this specific case, a spokesperson said, Mental health tribunals are independent judicial bodies, responsible for deciding whether it is necessary to detain or discharge restricted patients. Conditionally discharged patients are supervised in the community by a psychiatrist and a social worker. As well as being required to meet with mental health professionals, they also have to abide by certain conditions to ensure public safety, which may include abstaining from alcohol or adhering to exclusion zones such as the area where the victim lives. They may also be recalled to a secure hospital by the Secretary of State, if there is evidence of increased risk to the public. Mark Lancaster, MP for Milton Keynes, who met with the Justice Secretary about the case, wanted to ensure that Davis would not be returning to his hometown. He said, All of Milton Keynes was sickened by this horrific crime, and I'm determined that if there is a decision to release Gregory Davis, it should be on the condition he cannot return to this city. He must not be allowed to return here. I'm not prepared to let that happen. Obviously, as an MP, I have no authority over the judiciary, but I have repeatedly raised my concerns about this case and previously met with the Justice Secretary Ken Clark to put across my deep concerns. Even though the loophole in the law has now been closed with regards to early releases such as this, I am determined to press the Secretary of State to ensure that under no circumstances can Gregory Davis return to Milton Keynes.
Dorothy's twin sister Brenda expressed that she felt let down by the criminal justice system after she and Dorothy's son were informed of Gregory Davis's discharge from hospital. She said, We are disgusted. We feel he has played the system very well and is being released into the community just eight years after killing Dorothy and Michael in the most horrific way. We thought he was never going to come out again and he was being sent indefinitely to Broadmoor. As part of his release, Gregory Davis was not permitted to return to Milton Keynes. People in the community had doubts, as he had previously visited his family home. A friend to the Rogers family told the MK Citizen, There is no doubt whatsoever that this is an extremely dangerous man. Surely nobody in Milton Keynes is safe if a killer like this is allowed to walk free. It is crazy that he can suddenly be declared sane after six years. What happens if he forgets to take his pills? If the mental health professionals think he's fit to leave, then he should be taken to prison to serve the sentence he deserves. Dorothy Rogers' surviving son was interviewed with his identity concealed as he was concerned Gregory Davis could seek him out and attack him. There's always that on, in the back of your mind because obviously being you know, directly related um, to the victims um, you, you never know if there's a vendetta or if there's, um, I mean, you've got to remember that this person's a psychopath um, and there's no question of what he is capable of doing again. Dorothy's son spoke of his concerns about the release. There's always a permanent threat that the offender could re-offend and in another, if not more brutal way, another time. This is a complete travesty of justice, um, and we feel that we've got not the right support that we, we rightly deserve. So where are we now? The coverage of the case brought media attention to the Pilgrim's Bottle public house. It wasn't just the association with regular Gregory Davis that put them in the spotlight. The landlady was contacted after a further attack outside the establishment. They wanted her and the Pilgrim's Bottle to appear on a TV show. The landlady, Tracy Day, was interviewed by the MK Citizen and said... Dorothy and Michael were killed at their home in Stantonbury, and the stabbing, which happened a few months later, happened well away from the pub. The stabbing was over a row over 20p in the pool table, and we sorted that. I got a call from this newspaper last week asking if I'd be prepared to appear in the TV series Britain's Worst Pub. I just said, I beg your pardon, because I thought it must be a joke. The next thing I knew, we were splashed all over the paper, and all my regulars were fuming. At the time, Tracy Day was considering legal action. The victim of the stabbing, 35-year-old Jason Fulbrook, had injuries to his chest and a punctured lung. He was discovered collapsed opposite the pub after being wounded in the car park. Jason Fulbrook survived and the perpetrator Gary Bonsell was swiftly caught. The Pilgrim's Bottle's license was revoked after a further attack occurred nearby and in another incident a patron was struck with a glass bottle. 
the landlady's son was also caught drinking underage. However, during an appeal hearing, the pub's license was reinstated when local police seemed underprepared, offering little evidence regarding the incidents. The Pilgrim's Bottle has since closed its doors for good. In mid-2014, Gregory Davis twice forced himself into the public eye. It was reported that a local Milton Keynes newspaper received a 1,600-word essay. In it, Davis claimed he committed the murders because he thought the world was a video game, which came from a blue orb on the back of his head. The only method of escape from this fantasy world was to commit heinous murders. Part of the essay read, I was convinced through the delusion that I had to be the opposite sort of person to how I had always been in order to break out of the unreality of the world I thought I was trapped in. In the essay, Davis would reason, Since in my life I had always been a law-abiding, polite and kind person up to that point, I was deluded into believing that I had to do terrible things like killing people. Of course, the terrible acts I committed will never be healed for the victims' families, and I live with part of me destroyed by what I did. The end of the essay read, All I can do is try to live as good a life as possible and make a positive difference where I can. Davis again appeared in the headlines when a few videos that he made of himself appeared on YouTube. Once the public caught wind of who he was, so did the tabloids. One video was viewed more than 20,000 times before it was removed. The videos would pop up again, this time under a different YouTube account that exclusively uploaded content relating to Davis. In one of the videos, he casually spoke about the expensive watch he was wearing and circuit training at the gym, while showing off the 10-year-old whiskey he was drinking. He was disgruntled about being stopped from going on a luxury watch buyer trip to Fiji once the members of this trip found out about his past. He talks a lot about a man called Archie, who appears to be a watch dealer, and the person who organised the trip. At the start, the video is a still picture of Archie and a list of his three websites. In one of the clips, Davis starts talking about whiskey. This is a Laphroaig. Very nice Laphroaig. Ten-year-old. One of my favourites. I absolutely love Laphroaig. I know it splits opinion. Because it's quite unusual, but I absolutely love it. I think Archie had a Laphroaig, didn't he? I forget who sent him that. Um, yeah, so, yeah, I came back from the circuit training. About 70 or 80 of us doing that. I'm sure it'll kill me one day doing it, but... Yeah, so we just came back from that, having a few drinks. I had a couple of these. Staropromen. Czech lager there, which is... A very nice beer. And then started on the Laphroaig. And it's very rewarding to have a nice drinky 
after the gym, I find. Even if it is a bit counterproductive in, on, on some level. In the same video, he talks about sending Archie some scotch. Now he is back from Fiji. So, yeah, it's good to see Archie come back. And um, I think someone needs to send him some more scotch, don't they, really? You know, we, we need those, those moments where he opens a new... A new, a new gift, and you, you see that that look on his face, that like his face lights up when he, he gets a new gift. You know, it's quite funny. I mean, I've sent him a couple of bottles last year. Uh, what was it? I sent him the Singleton, twelve-year-old single malt, and the Talisker ten. Um, yeah, the Talisco, I, I, that's one of the one of the, the malts I had when I celebrated buying my Aquanaut. The other was a, a Welsh whiskey, the Penderin, which I think Archie's also had. Um, yeah, so maybe I should send him another one, you know, to welcome him back. But uh, actually, I might, might send him one of these, a nice Laphroaig. That'd be, that'd be good. He goes on talking about watches he wants to buy and the Rolex watch he wears in the day. In a second video he is drinking again, this time gin and a mixer. He talks about his 24% lead crystal glass and his Cartier small clock which is pictured, posed on a table next to a bottle of alcohol. Yeah, so it's, uh, it's getting quite late at night now but, you know, nice to have a nightcap. So yeah, I've got some... Um Got some Bombay Sapphire here. I know we go for Gordon's, but I thought I'd go for that, you know. And we've got some uh, these little cans of Schweppes tonic, which I love. It just makes it a, a little bit better having little cans. I don't know why. It's just a little thing I like. Uh, we've got a bit of a slice of lime, slice of lemon, and a bit of ice. Now let's have a go. And a gin and tonic is a Absolutely superb drink in English summer and probably anyone's summer. I'd certainly look forward to having a few of these in uh, in bangers. Yes, it's all very pleasant. We've got the uh, Bombay Sapphire, Dartington Crystal, and uh, the Cartier from the Archie Luxury Grand Sale. So, uh, cheers, fuckers. A montage video was also posted on the same account. 90s dance hit Runaway by Real McCoy is played, or strange imagery of Gregory Davis's mugshot fades into a red and blue picture of Anthony Hopkins and Jodie Foster with moths over their mouths. The silence of the Lambs film is a repeated theme throughout the video. More disturbingly, third image is of a bloody hand clutching a claw hammer with the caption, Why kill them with kindness? Use a claw hammer. It is unclear whether Davis owns the account. What is known is Gregory Davis is living at an undisclosed location in the UK. Thank you for listening 
and special thanks to our Patreon supporters. For more information, please visit theywalkamonguspodcast.com. If you would prefer to listen to our podcast a few days early without adverts, head on over to patreon.com forward slash they walk among us. Make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favourite podcast provider. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.